0: Hey, it's Lois. Welcome back to the She Loves podcast. This week, vegan and ethical fashion queen Sasha Camilli joins Jenny and I to discuss everything there is to know about cruelty-free and sustainable style. We chat about Sasha's day-to-day life as a media and special projects coordinator at PETA and how we can follow in her footsteps as someone with a stylish yet equally ethical wardrobe. So if it's your New Year's resolution to make your wardrobe more sustainable, this is the episode for you
1: thank you for joining us today you've been a major inspiration to me with the whole ethical fashion and veganism yeah, Thank you you were I was a big fan of Builder magazine. you were quite ahead of your time because you started in two thousand and thirteen right mm-hmm.
2: yeah that's correct
1: and so it makes me curious as to like how ahead of the game you were with the whole conscious consumerism veganism thing when did your journey start
2: oh wow um, that's a big question so i have always been very sensitive towards animals and animal rights. As soon as I realized as a child what meat was, I instinctively felt that I I want nothing to do with that. But as many people, I thought that you had to eat meat to survive when I was little. And it wasn't until I actually met a vegetarian that I realized that, hold on, we don't need to be doing this. But it took me so many years to go vegan and sort of connect to make the connection between meat and dairy and eggs and anything else that comes from animals actually. But once I'd made that step, I realized that while my diet needed a complete overhaul, I didn't have to edit my wardrobe that much because I already wasn't wearing much leather at all. And I had to phase out some wool. But that was pretty much it. And I'd been working in fashion for a few years at that time. And as I transitioned into my vegan journey, I had a feeling that what I was doing every day was not in line with my, my values. Mm-hmm. I felt like a big hypocrite sitting at work all day and writing about leather bags and lizard belts and all of those luxury items that I would never wear myself. And I didn't want anyone else to wear either. So I loved magazines at the time. I'm still a big fan of magazines. I had the idea to create something that I felt was missing in the market at that time, which was a magazine full of inspiration, aspirational photography, uh, really nice lifestyle content, but all of it vegan. So that's sort of how Vilda came about. And a couple of years after I launched Vilda, I left the fashion industry and I started doing what I do now, which is work for PETA as media and special projects coordinator, where I work mainly on fashion campaigns, because that's obviously my background. And it's just a completely different way to work. And I'm so happy that I made that transition.
1: Cool. So obviously you've been doing it for a while, like shopping ethically. Is there anything that's kind of behind? Is there anything that you still struggle to purchase that's made ethically, like gloves, scarves, something really
2: random? Oh, wow. Not really. I feel like things have really changed. The market has changed so much since I first started looking into these issues. Um, Back when I was still looking at starting the magazine. First of all, people didn't know what vegan fashion even was. I would get questions like, what do you mean a vegan fashion magazine? Like dresses made out of lettuce? What do you mean vegan fashion? Like no one knew what I meant. And now it's a big industry. We have vegan fashion week. Um, we have brands launching vegan ranges on all kinds of budgets and all ends of the fashion spectrum. So no, I don't think I struggle with anything in particularly. I've also made the switch to pretty much only shop secondhand. And I feel that even with The sort of restrictions that I have, I only buy vegan items secondhand as well. But even with those limitations, I still sort of have to hold myself back not to buy too much because there is so much out there. If there's one area that I feel we need to pay more attention to and that will lead to companies doing more work in this area, it's wool replacement. There is progress going on in the area of vegan wool. We have materials such as Will's Vegan Store, which is an amazing brand making a range of knitwear made from organic cotton and hemp and hemp tailor is another brand that uh, outerwear based but they also have knitwear made from hemp there's also soy cashmere which is made from soybeans Um, there's tencel which is produced from wood. it's made from wood it's a wood pulp cellulose fabric so there are interesting materials out there I just feel like they need a bit more information we need to talk about them a bit more and that will make it easier for consumers to find their way to these materials but also it will pave the way for companies to do more in the area of vegan wool
0: yeah that's one thing I struggle with is that a lot of things even if something isn't completely wool, it's still got like 5% wool
2: in it. Yeah, that's what companies do because they want to be able to say wool blend on the label. Even if it's like, like you say, it's 5% wool, but we still have that idea, unfortunately, in our society that materials like wool and leather are seen as higher quality, which is so far from the truth. Um, These materials are very harmful to the environment. And that's another aspect that isn't discussed that much. For example, um, Australia and New Zealand are the top wool producers in the world. And the sheep who are present in those countries are among the top contributors to methane emissions in those countries. And methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas. It has many times the global warming potential of CO2. Sheep also require resource-intensive feed. They need a parasite treatment that can be very toxic. And it's a very cruel industry. At PETA, affiliates have done 13 undercover exposés where they have filmed undercover at 116 sheep-sharing facilities on four continents, including in the UK. And every single time, cruelty has been found, abuse of animals has been found. So we definitely need to be talking about wool more to bring down this idea that it's, it's anything other than a cruel, environmentally destructive material.
0: Mm. I think people also, if they compare it to leather, they're like, "Well, I understand that leather's their skin, but wool is just like a haircut." But it's not just the cutting of the wool; it's the whole, the whole
2: industry that goes into Exactly. Yeah, like you say, many people think that it's a gentle haircut, and that if you don't share the sheep, that they will suffer.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, why do people think that? Um, first of all, sheep don't need shearing in their natural state. Think about it, animals in the wild don't really need humans to come and share them, do they? It's only because we have bred sheep to produce up to 10 times more wool than they would naturally need. Sometimes they struggle to even stand up because of all the weight of this excess wool. Um, And also people sometimes forget that, well, like you say, they say, well, leather kills the animal or fur kills the animal, but wool doesn't. Well, actually, once the sheep are considered no longer useful to the industry, there's no happy retirement for them. They don't go to sanctuaries. They're all sent to the slaughterhouse, which is exactly the same slaughterhouses as meat animals go to the same bloody, violent, cruel death that all of these animals face.
0: So you've mentioned your role at Peter there. How did you get into that? And what does this role involve? I assume it's more rewarding for you than your previous roles, but...
2: Absolutely. It's a million times more rewarding. So I actually didn't have an idea growing up that you could make activism a job. I thought that all of these organizations were run by volunteers. And also I thought, well, even if it could be a job, I could never face looking at all this animal cruelty all day would be too much for me. But the further I went in my vegan journey, the more it felt like I could not keep working in the fashion industry the way that I was doing Um, because... I kept telling myself that, oh, but we need someone in the industry changing the industry from within. Mm. And we do, but that was not me. (laughs) I I wasn't Stella McCartney. I was a copywriter sitting and writing, uh, you know, content to get brands to sell their products, which were often animal derived products. And I really felt like I was leading somewhat of a double life. I was one person at work and a completely different person outside of work. So when one of my freelance contracts as a copywriter was coming to an end, I was sort of looking around to see if I could make a change, a permanent change to move into an area that I would actually be proud of working in. And I had volunteered a bit at PETA at the time, because when I moved to London, I was looking to connect with vegans, to learn more about, because I was just transitioning to veganism myself. And through the volunteering, I sort of learned about the fact that This is an organization that hires people full-time. There's a way to actually work with saving animals. So I applied for a job in, um, in PR and I found that my background in fashion could actually be put to good use. So what I do now is I work on spreading the word about our campaigns in European countries. I work a lot on projects such as our fashion awards, which we do every year. And what that is, is basically a list of brands, of people, of companies, and of high profile moments that have happened in the fashion industry. If a big brand bans fur, or if a lot of brands ban mohair, or if anyone does something really significant for animals, we celebrate them in the fashion awards, which happen towards the end of the year every year. I have worked with Helsinki Fashion Week on becoming the first leather-free fashion week in the world, which was really exciting. Um, Yeah, it was really an amazing experience to see. I was actually at Helsinki Fashion Week last year and it was amazing to see that you can create a high-end fashion event without any use of leather. I've also talked to Stockholm Fashion Week who didn't show any fur or exotic skins this year and it's amazing to see all this progress and it's great to be part of it as well and it's just a completely different day-to-day working reality for me now which is so great
0: are the awards still going ahead this year or are they virtual this year
2: so it's always been virtual it's it's not an event it's never been an event it's just a way for us to um give a shout out to brands companies individuals so it's always been digital it's it's something that will happen this year yes we're planning it right now
1: so your job with Peter sounds really exciting. It sounds like it's kind of a, a career path that there's different things going on every day, right? But Absolutely. you're also you're also a writer and a yes. public speaker. So what does an average day look like for
2: you? Oh wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's like you say. There's a lot of variety. There are hardly ever any day uh, day that is the same. But basically, right now we're all working from home, but that hasn't changed much for me because I've been working remotely for a few years now, since I moved to Brighton. So I start in the morning by um, reading through emails and looking at any uh, kind of urgent projects that need to be be done. I send out any, mm, if we're sending out news releases or anything like that, that's typically done in the morning. There are at least a few meetings each week uh, that all happen via Zoom, which is great to actually see people's faces every once in a while. I also am back on my virtual this year speaking tour of universities in the UK. I started this a couple of years ago. I travel UK to speak at universities that had fashion courses. It could be fashion design or fashion marketing or business or anything fashion related, and I would talk to students about our fashion campaigns and about how animal-derived materials are produced and also about the innovation that's happening in vegan fashion. And that's something I still do now, only via Zoom instead. And it's great how technology has been helpful and I've been able to continue doing this without actually getting on trains. Uh, that's one of the my favorite projects, I would say, one of the most rewarding projects. And as for my other sort of... Um, Side projects. I do a lot of writing. I work with several vegan websites and um, ethical living websites and magazines in several countries. And that's something I tend to do in the evenings. I write a lot about material innovation, I interview people who are doing exciting things in the area of vegan sustainable materials. I sometimes write about if there's any any campaigns that are gaining momentum in the fashion industry such as for example exotic skins that got a lot of attention this year in relation to the pandemic uh, the origins of the pandemic were discussed and where it originated and there was this research around exotic use of exotic animals and while we often tend to talk about food first there's actually the fact that exotic animals are also used for fashion such as luxury bags and shoes and belts and accessories and the way that these animals are raised and kept are very similar to wet markets and live animal markets like the one where COVID-19 is believed to have originated so that's something I wrote about to get more attention to the way we use animals and our relationship with animals that definitely needs to change.
0: Yeah and as well mink lashes and things like that they all come from animals it's just a whole exactly we as humans we've just become so dependent on animals it shocks me every time I make the connection so you mentioned there that you go around to universities and talk to students if somebody was wanting to follow in your footsteps and enter the world of vegan and ethical fashion what advice would you give to them
2: Well, first of all, I think be knowledgeable, to read up on the information, ethical fashion or um, sustainability or animal rights or whatever it is that uh, you want to go into and where your passions lie. Follow the news, find people who are talking about this kind of topics and see what they have to say and learn, get the information. And when it comes to myself, I got into this kind of work through volunteering um, so that might be if you're stuck in a job uh, and, if, and it's not what you want to do and you want to kind of change direction, or if you're maybe in university and just choosing your direction, volunteering can be a really good way to get a foot in the door, to meet people, to find out more about the industry and also, don't be afraid to be proactive. Get in touch with organizations that you want to work with and let them know that you are interested in, in working together. Even if there aren't any openings on the websites, there might be in the future. And there might be they might be thinking of some openings that you might not know of. So be sure that you're on the radar of whoever you want to work with. And also be clear of what you can bring to the organization. When I first interviewed Apita, I... Didn't, I didn't come from a background in animal rights other than volunteering, which I've done for a while in different areas throughout my life, but I'd never worked for an animal rights organization or any kind of charity organization before. But I knew that I had journalism experience, which would help me with working in a press office. So I'm sure that everyone has some kind of transferable skills that they can bring to a role in this area. Because if you think about it, sustainable fashion as an industry is still quite new. When I was at university uh, 10 years ago, there was not even any sort of conversation around sustainability. And now when I visit universities, it's a huge topic of conversation. So this is an industry that's really growing and it's really new. So most roles are still being created so it's, uh, there aren't many people that will have a long background in sustainability. So don't let that stop you. Um, think of what you can bring to the, to the table because I'm sure there is something.
0: So with someone like me, I try and shop ethically and sustainably. Jenny and Rachel, they're both sustainability queens. And I do everything else, just fashion is where I struggle. So if there are any of our listeners who really have no clue where to begin with changing up their wardrobes, make it vegan and ethical, where would you advise that they begin?
2: So it can be, it can be confusing when you're just starting out. If you're used to shopping where we're all sort of told to shop, which is on the high street, you go out there and you think, okay, what what do i even do where is where do i find ethical fashion it can be uh, really confusing and also when you start looking into the brands you can find that they can seem quite difficult and unattainable to sort of connect with because you might never have heard of them before and it might feel like a whole new world i usually tell people to explore charity shops. I used to not be a fan. Like when I first moved to London, I went into one charity shop and I thought, okay, there's nothing here for me. I just had my prejudices and my mind made up about um, this sort of shopping. But then I don't remember what it was, but something made me try again. And since then I'm the biggest charity shop convert in the world. Pretty much, I would say a good 80% of my wardrobe is now in some way secondhand and also I would advise everyone to download apps like Depop which are just amazing gold mines for secondhand fashion which is one of the most ethical ways to shop and vegan fashion can feel like it's a tiny niche but it's really not you can find vegan designs everywhere these days even things like pineapple leather or leather made from wine grapes which feels which can sound like something that's completely from a different planet but the thing is, you can find them at h m these days. Their Conscious Exclusive collection featured both pineapple leather and wine grape leather the last two seasons. So um, a good way to learn more about vegan fashion is to visit pita.org.uk and have a look at, for example, the PETA-approved vegan list, which is a logo we have for brands that uh, want to help consumers identify vegan fashion. And it's used by over a thousand brands all over the world. And it can be brands that are completely vegan or brands that just have a vegan range. And when we say vegan range, it can be really high street brands or really exclusive brands. It's really available on every end of the fashion spectrum. It just takes a little bit of uh, getting familiar with your new places to shop. And it's also a very exciting journey. You'll have a lot of fun.
0: I know shopping secondhand, it isn't very expensive, but if people were wanting to shop, you know, sustainable and ethical, there is sort of a bit of a stigma around it still that it's quite expensive and that to, you know, a lot of people who are on budgets that they can only afford to shop in Primark, for example, how would you encourage them that actually shopping sustainably and ethically isn't expensive and you don't have to break the bank?
2: And I get this question a lot when I'm in universities, obviously, because uh, people, there are students, so they are often on a budget. It is true that sustainable fashion costs more, and there are reasons for why it costs more. For example, we're used to seeing things um, on the high street sold really cheap, and now we know why they're so cheap. It's because the people making these garments don't get paid almost anything at all. And while people might understand the reasons behind that, That doesn't mean that their personal circumstances have changed. They still cannot afford it, even if they would like to. So I usually explain that materials such as those innovative vegan leathers that I always talk about in my lectures, such as apple leather, pineapple leather, mushroom leather, that sort of thing, they are quite expensive. But as they come into the mainstream more and people learn more about them and start seeing them as an alternative to animal skins and to synthetic leathers, prices will go down. For example, pineapple leather and wine leather used to be quite pricey, but now you can buy them in in H&M. And that will be the way that things will go as these materials will progress into the mainstream price um, points will go down. But my advice for people who would like to shop ethically now is definitely to shop secondhand. It's you can find anything in secondhand shops and on secondhand apps. It might take a little bit longer than just going into Zara and picking something up but you will find it. And it's obviously quite inexpensive. So that's my number one tip. And it's one of the most ethical ways we can shop too, using resources that we already have without making anything new. Because there's so many clothes in the world. There's so much clothing out there. All the clothes we need are already in the world. So all we have to do is find them. It's interesting
1: about mention H&M and their sustainable lines. What do you think about the topic of greenwashing? I know it's mentioned a lot, but do you think it's acceptable to purchase from high street brands as long as you're purchasing from like their sustainable line?
2: So I think there's different points of view on this because if a brand makes something that is, I think labeling something as sustainable is quite tricky because uh, it's, It has so many factors, a sustainable garment. What even, um, do we know what that even means? Just because something is made from a more sustainable material, does that mean it is sustainable as a garment? Um, What are the conditions that it was made in? What about the people who made it? How were they treated? What conditions are they working in? Do they get a living wage? There are so many factors to consider before you say that something is sustainable. What we have seen as vegan fashion campaigners is that vegan materials, sort of there's a new way of seeing vegan materials, because it used to be either you buy leather or you buy synthetics, and none of these options are great for the environment. There is research to say that leather is the most polluting fabric in fashion because of raising animals and the Incredible impact it has on the environment. Obviously, animal agriculture is one of the leading causes causes of climate change, but that's not often taken into consideration when we talk about sustainable materials. Often we talk about how bad plastic is for the environment, and it is, it's re- really awful. But we need to keep in mind that leather is even more polluting. But today we don't need to wear leather or Synthetics because of these new materials that are being created and that are being brought into the mainstream. So, whenever a brand chooses to champion them, such as HM, but also high end brands like Hugo Boss, who've made a range of shoes made from pineapple leather, or Chanel, that have made a hat from pineapple leather, whenever these materials are taken out of the context of something very niche and brought into Uh, more of a mainstream brand context, that's something that's positive because it will bring more awareness to these materials and will inspire more brands to use them, which means that we will move away from both animal skins and synthetics, which is a win-win. But I think what's really important is that we look at the volume of things that we produce. The way that we consume fashion today is mainly unsustainable because of how much of it there is. Some labels have 50 collections every year. That's like one collection a week. If you think about how it used to be that you had your nice dress and you had your everyday dress and then it sort of progressed into two collections per year and now we have 50. It's just, it's been a crazy development and that's where slow fashion comes in, that uh, movement to say that we need to slow down and just make less and use what we already have. And that I think is the true key to being more sustainable.
1: So let's talk a bit about your book, Vegan Style. Was publishing a book kind of always a goal of yours or did it kind of happen naturally and unexpectedly?
2: I've always wanted to. It's just that before I got into vegan fashion, I wasn't sure. Like I've tried writing several novels before that didn't go very well, never finished one. Um, But when I started exploring vegan fashion, I around the same time or maybe a year and about a year and a half after I started VILDA, I thought that just like with the magazine where I spotted the gap in the market, I thought it was the same with books. Back then around 2015, there were lots of books coming out about living as a vegan and they were all beautiful. They were all really well um, well made and really nice to look at, but they were all about food. There were so many recipes and that's, that's boomed now as well. It's uh, always and they're, they're gorgeous, but there was nothing around the other aspects of being a vegan. And that's uh, where I thought I could share some knowledge and share the things that I was learning myself. So when I first started working on this book in 2015, I contacted several literary agents and publishers. And once again, I was met with a lot of confusion. Nobody knew what I was talking about. Nobody understood what vegan fashion even was. And then I just kept writing. I just kept working on it. And I thought, I'll get it out somehow. And when I was done, which was around late 2018, I tried again. I sent a proposal to agents and uh, publishers. And this time, it was completely different. The response was very positive, lots of interest, because vegan fashion had in the meantime become a thing. It was a trend. People were talking about it. And I'm very happy to have worked with my publisher, Murdoch Books. Uh, they're in Australia, but they're also, they also have an office in London. I'm very proud of what we did. Uh, what I wanted to accomplish was a very inspirational, aspirational, beautiful book. I wanted to be something that people wanted to hold in their hands and leaf through, because one of my goals has always been to elevate the, the image of vegan fashion. And I feel like we did that. I'm very proud of the product. I'm very happy when I see it in bookstores and when I spot it in the library. And every time I get messages from people who've read it, it's, uh, I'm always happy to hear from readers. Yeah, I look at it as a very positive experience and a dream come true. Would you write another book, do you think? Absolutely. I'm working on one now. Oh! amazing yeah definitely it's uh, quite different but I'm always interested in writing more and it's a huge passion of mine so I think I'll always be writing stuff in one form or or another we have that in common
0: (laughs) I was gonna say that's like you Jenny Just to finish up, we ask all our guests on the
2: podcast to recommend us one book or one podcast that they love. I would recommend that everyone read Animal Kind, which is the latest book by Ingrid Newkirk, who is the founder of PETA. Um, She has written, I think it's 13 books. I mean, she's she's just unbelievable. Um, But this latest one is interesting because it teaches us so much about animals so the focus of this book is basically to get people to be more familiar with animals and to learn interesting and quirky things about them for us to relate more to animals and realize that they are individuals. And they're not objects. They're uh, not that different from us, really. They are sentient individuals that can feel emotions that have families, that have their own cultures, their own languages, their own communication, and I feel like whoever reads this book will just relate so much to animals in a whole different way. And yeah, I would definitely recommend it. It's a really nice read. As for podcasts, um, well, I have a podcast. Uh, there's only one episode, only one season of it, called Catwalk Rebel, and it's basically a podcast about the harmful norms of fashion and things that we take for granted in fashion such as, like I said earlier, thinking that leather is a high quality material and that anything else that's not leather is inferior or that shopping secondhand is untrendy and just Mm. stereotypes like that. So I try to break these down in the podcast and I interview some really interesting people that I've worked with. There's only one season of it, but another one maybe coming soon. A bit of shameless self promotion there. You can't promote yourself. Who can you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being so informative. I've genuinely learnt so much. Like especially the oh, sheep and the methane thing. I had no idea about that because they talk about beef being such a contributor to
2: climate change. You don't really hear about anything else. So Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about beef is that everyone talks about beef, but not many people mention leather, which is obviously part of animal agriculture and it contributes to climate change just as much as meat.
0: Oh, well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us, Sasha. Thank you for having me. Have a lovely day. Thank you for listening to the she loves podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode and if you're enjoying these conversations with these inspiring women be sure to share them with your friends rate review and subscribe wherever you are listening if you've not already check out our instagram at she loves podcast and our website she loves podcast.com. we're also very keen to hear your stories so if you're interested in writing for us or just want to have a chat email us at we are she loves at gmail.com